And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Brett McAtee. He is pastor of Christ the King Reformed Church in Charlotte, Michigan. And Brett, it's an honor to have you on today with us. Thank you, Dan, and, and thanks for having me on. It's an, it is likewise a privilege to be here. Uh, before we get into our discussion, can you uh, briefly describe uh, the church that you pastor, and, and how was it that the Lord called you to himself and into the pastoral ministry? Sure, I can do that. Um, I pastor a small, independent Reformed church in Charlotte, Michigan, uh, Charlotte Christ the King Reformed Church. Uh, in terms of being called to the pastorate, uh, it was just a series of open doors um, I kept walking through. Um, that was my interest uh, from an early age at 18 or 19, and I kept op- walking through the open doors. Uh, for example, um, the classes or the subjects I was interested in, religion, philosophy, political science, history, all had to could be formed and shaped and understood only within the context of biblical Christianity. I graduated college, and uh, I wasn't ready then to go into the ministry, although I was locally ordained at that point in the Wesleyan Church which was a long time ago. Uh, from there, um, I was married, went to seminary, and fought with the seminary professors who were Reformed, and I was Wesleyan at that point. And uh, finally graduated seminary, though still probably more confused than ever about um, whether I was Reformed or whether I was Arminian. So I decided I'd be the one who figured it all out, which I didn't. So I finally, at some point, uh, bowed the knee to Christ's uh, sovereignty and gave up my former Arminianism. And at that point, a small independent Presbyterian church in Longtown, South Carolina called Longtown Presbyterian Church called me uh, to the pastorate. And from there, we eventually matriculated to Michigan where a church in Michigan called Jane and I uh, to be their pastor here. And now we're Charlotte Christ the King Reformed Church. And there it is in a very small nutshell. Well, that's really helpful. And uh, we actually have some similar background. Years ago, uh, as a boy growing up, I actually was in the Wesleyan Church. Really? Um, yeah, and then uh, went eventually to the Christian Missionary Alliance and uh, then ended up where I am now in the PCA. But uh, the most significant part of that is that we, we share the Reformed faith together. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the implications of uh, what you've discovered, really, over time. Um, oh, I wanted to say this, too. Your church, I assume that you have accountability. You have elders in the church? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, we have, yeah. uh, We're a small congregation. We have two elders and uh, a deacon, and then we have a couple other chaps that are elders in training, so to speak. That's wonderful. So, yeah, so, yeah, so there is oversight. Yes. So I've um, read some of your uh, postings on Facebook. That's how we got to know each other. Uh, one thing led to another, and I contacted you, and, and you also run a, a little blog, uh, ironink.org, I think it is. Um, some of the comments there are, are very helpful, and I, I'd like to kind of hone in on, on one area today, and that is, um, I guess you could call it the implications of the Great Commission, and in particular, the implications of discipling the nations. You know, we're all familiar with going into the world and... Um, preaching the gospel, and, and the call to missions, you know, evangelizing the lost and that sort of thing. There's a flip side to the coin, however, and it's a very real side, 
And uh, you caught it in one of the postings in your blog where you're talking about certain missionaries that kind of have a style of their own. And their theory affects their word, you say, in a way of making them seek exclusively or chiefly the conversion of individual souls. And, of course, that's very good. wouldn't argue with that. Um, then he went on, this quote from A. Hodge, the true and efficient missionary method is to aim directly, indeed, at soul winning, but at the same time to plant Christian institutions in heathen lands, which will in time develop according to the genius of the nationalities. I thought, wow, that that really hits on some truth there. I'm wondering if you can kind of pick that apart and help us understand it better now. I think I can do that. Uh, the model for evangelism and, and even missions for a very long time now has been uh, to pick off individuals for lack of a better way, to subjectively pick off isolated atomistic individuals. Whereas if you look at the model of missions prior to that, um, missionaries would go in and they would go to the chief men, maybe the uh, chieftain of the community or the people group, or they'd go to uh, some important personage, and they'd seek to convert that person with the understanding that if that person was converted, then that would mean the whole the whole nation would be converted as well. Um, it's the difference between uh, the analogy I like to use is building a house. When you build a house, you have to you have to put up the frame. You have to put the whole thing up, and then after you put the whole the frame up, then you start doing the the interior, the small work. Well, we've concentrated on doing the small work, so to speak, and have forgotten the framework. Mm-hmm. And what biblical Christianity does is it says we need to return to the framework, and we need to turn return to the idea of winning whole nations of going after um, the important personages that God has placed in particular nations uh, so that they'll bring their people along with them. So that once upon a time, you would go after the head of the house, the father. Um, And like the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts, and he brings he and his household with him. And so the biblical model, I think, is away from this Rousseauian, Lockean kind of anthropology, which concentrates on the individual and instead sees man not as an individual, but as a as a unit. And so talks about him not only as an individual, but also in his corporate standing. And so biblical Christianity then goes after the individual properly so, but he also goes after the institutions that the individual uh, builds up. And so Christian missions, rightly done, would go in and seek to Christianize, so to speak, the justice system of a pagan people, or Christianize... Uh, the family structures of a pagan people. It's it's, it's concerned not only with individual souls, but with the macro, uh, the the macro structures of the social order in which that person lives. Now, the problem that we're having today is that many in the Reformed Church are saying that there is no such thing as a Christian nation, there is no such thing as Christian civilization. Christendom was a mistake. We, we're having lots of voices, uh, and, and I can identify them if that's what you'd like, but we're having lots of voices that are coming out and saying we need to give up these categories, and so that locks us into the subjective, isolated atomization of missions only going after individuals, and that is a real mistake, and as far as I'm concerned, we've already shown now for decades and decades that it's impossible to succeed doing that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're approaching it this way. Yeah, I'd like to stay away from, for at least this discussion, the names of the people that that pushed this uh, radicalized, I guess, two-kingdom view. 
Um, but let's just focus on the truth, basically. Um, sure. Now, developing, I liked Hodge, going back to the original quote, where he, he, he says, these Christian institutions in the heathen lands, which will in time develop according to the genius of the nationalities, that addresses an objection. Some people might say, well, how dare you? go in there and try to establish an institution because you're you're a english speaking um you know and they may name a particular race that you are uh, going in and trying to impose on these people how, how would you answer that and and it looks like a hodge had a really good way of working through that well, the way that I would approach that is just to go back to the idea that the institutions that we're seeking to a shape and mold in a Christ-honoring fashion are still going to be organically related uh, to the character type, the genus, the personality of the people group in question. So it's not a it's not as if we're going to go in and, and necessarily do a top-down reorganization of their whole right. culture. That, that's a mistake I think that has been made in uh, colonialism and when Christianity was following the colonialist model. Um, we do, however, have to go in and say that Christianity is a superior culture uh, because Christ is king over kings of all other lesser right. gods. And we have to go in and we have to say that, look, these different social groupings, institutional hierarchies, um, the arts, the families, the churches, uh, the courts, educational system, there's seven of them that, that I typically tick off. I think I gave you five. These have to be infused with Christ. Now, you can do that per your character and how God has gifted you as a people, but it still has to be done in such a way that these institutions give off the aroma of Christ. Yes, yes. I, I'm thinking of a really, really low-level uh, example. The other day I was talking with my son, who is an excellent HVAC mechanic at this point, and I was encouraging him not that he needed my encouragement at that point, but I was that he was doing a Christian work. And right away he went to to the obvious. Yeah, he says, yeah, you know, I get to share the, the Lord with, with people. And I say, that's wonderful, and yet it's beyond that. Uh, when you as a Christian are doing HVAC, you're doing HVAC using Christian principles. And so it is, it is an, a work just as important as your pastor this is spreading the kingdom of God, essentially, by your work in HVAC. Do you ever see people thinking that way? Right. The idea here is, uh, among many of these people that have radicalized uh, the two kingdom, is that the kingdom is exactly identified with the church. Right. And so HVAC people need not apply That's uh, right. in, ter- in terms of doing kingdom work, uh, because only kingdom work can only be done in the context of the church, because church automatically equals is an exact synonym for kingdom. And so when you think like that, then it's the case that these other callings that God has appropriated to his people are no longer contributing to the kingdom work, and the other people are left writing checks uh, to the church, so the church can do so-called kingdom work. And this is a a massively uh, disconcerting understanding, and I think is destructive to the ongoing building up of the kingdom of God in Christ, which is already present. Yeah, so um, when we talk about a Christian institution, now go back up high level a little bit, um, is it legitimate for us to have a sincere desire 
of establishing Christian institutions. I'm thinking now of, let's say someone is called to establish a school, and they realize, man, man, when I jump into this, I'm going to be doing this until I die. This is a major, major calling. Um, I'm going to be sticking my neck way out. It's going to be costly in terms of time and money, but God willing, we're going to establish this classical Christian school in this area of, let's say, New York that desperately needs it. Um, Is it legitimate? Is it legitimate to have the desire and goal of establishing Christian institutions? (laughs) Absolutely. It's not only legitimate, it's illegitimate if that's not a goal. If that's not present, um, you will not build up a Christian civilization. Uh, you will not build up Christendom. Uh, you'll not build up anything that's going to last. That's the problem with the Christianity that we're currently embracing. We've so subjectivized it, we so atomized it, that there are no longer any structures that can carry Christianity as a whole into the future. And so we're left with just uh, me and Jesus in our Bible study times, and God is in my heart, and we, maybe we go to church on Sundays, but that's not going to perpetuate biblical Christianity, and it's not the Christianity of our forefathers. No, no. Now, recently, I, I had a um, there. There was a, an acquaintance who passed away, kind of a friend of the family. He was a funeral director, and um, I didn't know his spiritual status, but I do know that he operated uh, above board with integrity and honesty and he was really good and it got me thinking well we need we need christian funeral home directors uh it, that that's a can you imagine having a christian funeral home director uh, not only do they do an excellent job and they're honest and they, and they they help you through a really trying time they may even share some wisdom of scripture with you <laughs> yeah a- absolutely and this is an important point that you're touching on whether it be hvac guys or whether it be funeral directors, whether it be education, or whatever uh, field you might want to mention, um, we often get the retort from uh, the cognoscenti that, well, you can't, you know, you can't do Christian plumbing, or you can't do uh, Christian stir fry. Uh, are examples that I've heard before, <laughs> but but that's that's just not accurate because as Christians, we're stir frying beef, not human flesh. Uh, you can stir fry human flesh. That wouldn't be particularly Christian, but it'd be stir fry. Um, <laughs> with the same thing with uh, plumbing. Uh, as a plumber, you could use all kinds of methodologies uh, to short shrift the customer, to cheat them, to make sure that the repair work is going to break down, so I'll have to call them again. Um, that would not be Christian plumbing. So yes, there is such a thing as as Christian stir fry and Christian plumbing, and these people are being. I believe in many cases, willfully blind in order to advance an agenda that's not particularly Christian. Yeah. Another topic I wanted to touch upon, obviously you've thought about these things. I want to ask you about this. Um, the idea of nations, um, if you if you go to any um, school today that is, is not a Christian school, you'll get a lot of, uh, an excessive amount of push towards multiculturalism, uh, diversity and basically all religions are the same. Each one is completely equal, and that sort of thing. And and frankly, as a Christian, I find that very offensive because my Jesus tells me that He's the only way to God, and that we don't come to the Father except through Him. Um, but the idea of nationhood, um, we're also led to believe that borders are evil, 
Uh, we shouldn't have uh, a group of people that identifies themselves as, as as a nation, let's say, and say, okay, we believe a certain set of things. Can you talk to us just a little bit about nations and why that can be a godly concept? Right. Well, again, we have to start with Scripture, and Scripture everywhere presupposes nations. Uh, you get to the Great Commission, and Jesus is sending them where? Not to a bunch of individuals. He's sending them to the nations. And he's talking about making disciples of who? Individuals? No, of nations. Um, I'm condensing a lot here, but you fast forward to the book of Revelation, and, and you see people streaming in uh, to the New Jerusalem, and they're streaming in by the nations. You get right. to the very end of the book of Revelation, and you see there said, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of who? The nations. Yes. So nations are everywhere presupposed, and the denial of nations is a Marxist category that can only leave us embracing some kind of Marxian internationalism. And so we admit, I confess, that there is such a thing as unbiblical nationalism, but what people want to say is that all nationalism is therefore unbiblical. And that's, that serves the ends of Marxists who want to build a, a globalist New World Babylon order. Um, we've gotten to the point where our, our anthem might as well be John Lennon's Imagine. Imagine there's <laughs> no countries and no religion, too. Yes. And that's what everything is pushing us towards in the, in, in the West these days. Uh, multiculturalism, which means one culture. Multifaithism, which means one faith. And uh, a third multiism, multiracialism, which means we all have to be one chocolate cafe or coffee cafe uh, race. Sure. It's, and those, those three things hang together. And it's biblical nationalism that has to be promoted if one wants to be articulating a Christian vision. And let's contrast this with the unbiblical nationalism. And with that, I would refer to Nazi Germany. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also Stalin's uh, right. uh, communism, which I'd like to talk more about than Hitler's Nazism, if only because Stalin was uh, far more the the villain if you're going to do comparisons, but they're both villains. It's but true. yes, the, the problem here with unbiblical nationalism is that God is no longer seen as absolute, but what is seen as taken as absolute is the race or, 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 the, or the kindred. Um, and anytime you put anything in the place of God, you destroy that which you are putting in the place of God. And so the problem with uh, Hitler's uh, national socialism and his Aryan uh, philosophy was the idea that white people would essentially be God. And if that's what you're going to pursue, I don't want any part of it. It's no not way. biblical. You need to throw it out the door because all it really becomes is it turns it turns white people into Talmudists. Um, it exalts them at, at the expense of everybody else. Yes, yes. Well, today we're talking about uh, basically the Great Commission and Christian institutions and that aspect of the Great Commission, which requires us to disciple the nations, and of course it has implications for establishing Christian institutions, such as a Christian school, or a Christian plumbing business, or even a Christian funeral home. And our guest today is Brett McAtee, and uh, he's pastor of Christ the King Reformed Church. And um, I've found your writings to be very helpful. Um, maybe you can give our listeners a reference where they can look you up and read some of your blog. Sure. Uh, my blog is at ironink.org. I haven't been active in a while because I've been struggling with uh, health issues off and on, although by God's grace, I'm getting uh, stronger and stronger from those previous problems. 
So if you go there, you won't see anything particularly recent, but there's still a lot, a lot of material there at ironink.org. Yeah, it sounds good. I want to encourage people, and that's why we're talking today, Brett. Um, Not everybody is called into the pastorate. Uh, We are called to be a member of a faithful church to support our pastor and elders and, and, and with faithful attendance and our giving and all of that. But, uh, dear friend, your your calling may lie in much of what mine does right now, and that is a, a broadcast ministry. And, you know, with this broadcast ministry, it's obviously become our life, and we spend a t- tremendous amount of time trying to keep the stations on the air and the programming up to date and all of that. But perhaps it is a Christian school, or perhaps uh, you are called to government Perhaps uh, you're going to be one of the few uh, Christian leaders in government where it's been said that, how do you know a politician is lying? Well, his his or her lips are moving. <laughs> and maybe you're going to be the exception. When your lips move, it's going to speak truth. And that would be a, a very refreshing thing in our day, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kingdom work is wherever God has placed you and wherever God is is planted you kingdom work starts with the uh, nuclear family and extends out to the extended family so kingdom work is wherever christians trod and whatever they're called to i have in the congregation i serve i have accountants i have uh, businessmen i have uh, men who are truck drivers and they do all that they do to the glory of god they do it in a particular christian fashion and that is by god's grace building up the kingdom of god yes I'm so glad you tied in the family, and perhaps we should have started there. Um, can you describe the family the way God sees it and the way God wants it to be? Sure. Uh, usually there are three categories that uh, scholars place the family in, uh, atomistic, domestic, and trustee. Uh, currently we're living in a time of the atomistic family where really the home is uh, kind of a bed and breakfast kind of an institution. Uh, you Maybe you get breakfast there, then you go out, uh, whether it's the children going to school or the father going to work, the mother going to work quite possibly as well, maybe children going to daycare. But anyway, if you gather back, you'll gather at the evening in order to go to bed, do it all over again the next day. Um, that's not a Christian model. Um, at that point, you're all you're atomistic. There's no economic unity to the family. There's no uh, Christian unity to the family. It's just scattering seeds to the wind, so to speak. That's the atomistic model. And it uh, eventually will end in in social order anarchy. The next model I'll talk about is the trustee family, because the trustee family, what it tends to look up is it sees not only the the family in terms of the nuclear family, it sees the family in terms of the extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, great-grandparents. It sees them as a unit. The illustration I like to use about this in order to help people understand is a a band. Um, In 1970-something, the Doobie Brothers uh, formed as a band. Uh, over time, several of their players left. They brought on Michael McDonald, but they still remained what? They still remained the Doobie Brothers. They were still the same band. Well, that's the way the trustee family works. It moves through time. It changes members. It changes people, but it's still the same family. And it honors the family. And the, the patriarch, the men who are at the head of the family, understand that they are um, only transitional figures. And all that they do is for not only the present family, but the family is going into the future. And so it's much more organic. 
Uh, it sees things much more holistically. Uh, it is the trustee family that is passing the trust from generation to generation. And so when I look at the McAtee family, for example, I see not only Jane and, and Brett and, and my children and grandchildren, but I see my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren and my great-great-great-grandchildren unborn. I see the patriarchs of the past that led us to this point. And it's all the same family. Uh, an example of this I heard once, um, a chap was talking about, uh, two chaps were talking about their families, and one chap said to the other chap, he said, oh, our families have been knowing each other since the Civil War. Now, that takes a particularly unique way to think, because most people don't think that way. But he understood that their families were not just in the here and now, but went backwards. Um, and then finally, the Domestic family is kind of a, a, a attempt to to be a tertium quid, a, a harmony between the two, so that some responsibilities are are shipped out. Uh, so, for example, in Scripture, the family does not hold the responsibility to bring capital punishment. Uh, that is shipped out to the state, uh, to the magistrate. Right. And so he is given that responsibility. And so the family doesn't have that responsibility. That responsibility is is shipped out to another responsibility. And so in domestic family situations, you have the family still emphasized, but there are some responsibilities that are given over to other institutions so that they're, the harmony between the different families can be more easily embraced. Yes. Well, that's very helpful. I, I wish we could keep talking. I'm looking at the clock here. I realize we just ran out of time. But okay. uh, Pastor Brett McAtee is our guest today. He pastors Christ the King Reformed Church. And uh, that blog site that I mentioned before is found at ironinc.org. A lot of interesting stuff there. And Brett's sermons are found on Sermon Audio. Just look for his name, Brett, B-R-E-T, McAtee, M-C, capital A-T-E-E. This has been fascinating to talk about the implications of the Great Commission, in particular, the aspect of discipling the nations. Pastor Brett McAtee, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. And your will be done Right here On the earth like it is in heaven Thy cross is lifted o'er us We journey in its light We follow as you guide us Lead on, O God of mercy